0: Greetings, welcome to Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. I'm an author, coach, and healer. Thank you for joining us today as we explore authentic masculine leadership. If you are a successful driven man, yet feel that meaning and purpose is missing, I invite you to book a complimentary clarity call with me. Go to theandigrantcom slash talk while I still have a couple open slots for one-on-one work. Again, that is theandygrant.com slash talk because you deserve more. My guest today is Mike Sherrick. Mike is an executive coach, speaker, and author of the upcoming book, Manhood Manifesto, how men must lead at home, at work, and in the public sphere. If you're like me and think leadership is this dry, boring business stuff, Mike will prove you wrong. Mike dives right into the mistaken binary view that society seems to have on masculinity. We explore the importance of authenticity self-awareness, responsibility, and fun. Mike will tell you the one thing that you are responsible for and the one thing that you can control. He also shares what happens when men take competitiveness too far. Let's go. Mike, welcome to Real Men Feel. It's great to see you and have you here today.
1: Thank you so much, man. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really looking forward to it.
0: You know, we spoke one time before, I think just once, and you had said something around that right now there's this really binary approach to masculinity.
1: Could you expand on that a bit? Yeah. What I mean by that, there's this kind of viewpoint of masculinity. It's either toxic masculinity or there's this kind of muted down version of masculinity, you know, and it's... Like making sure you're not too macho and making sure you're very sensitive and making sure you're very this and that. And the truth of the matter is, I think there's, you know, how many different men are there in the country? 130 million or something like that. There's got to be 130 different versions of masculinity, right? So I don't think there's one way or another. There's just a, you know, the thing that I always strive for is have people be authentic to who they are. And if
0: you're authentic to who you are, you're going to be a unique creature. So One of the birthing thoughts of of this whole show of Real Men Feel five years ago was, Encouraging guys to realize that the only definition of masculinity that matters is yours.
1: That's exactly it. And, you know, Andy, it's so funny because, you know, we've got the whole toxic masculinity thing, which is, and again, men have demonstrated this a lot, you know, the hyper-competitiveness, the over-sexualization of things. And then there's don't do that, you know, which is the flip side of that. So guys are, they become overly meek and afraid of their shadows and and don't say things and have become somewhat, for lack of a better word, effeminized or neutered, you know? And what that has them do is, you know, one of the biggest problems I've seen is has them, you know, sit things out and not step up and own their voice, not step up and own their leadership, not step up and own their beliefs. And so, you know, it's gotten to a point
0: where it's been concerning for me. And it really makes sense because I see it in wired society that we're in this period of extremism. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're hardcore, you know, competitive and hypersexualized and, you know, the toxic masculinity kind of label or you're just a doormat. And that's kind of yeah. the only—that's that's all there is. <laughs> well, it's funny. I guess if I would label myself on that spectrum, I lean toward the
1: Clint Eastwood, John Wayne version of things, right? You know, you know, it's been a gift because I've had to become really responsible for you know how you show up and all the goofy things that guys do. You know, I mean, I do them all, but you know, you you know, I've, I've had to be responsible for it. It's given me really interesting perspective on things. Because I'm not a doormat kind of
0: guy. Yeah, I don't see either of those types as being that. So what does being the John Wayne or Clint Eastwood type, what what does that mean to you?
1: Well, kind of the more traditional kind of male, you know, kind of the uh, 50s, early 60s version of, you know, I worked in construction, worked in manufacturing, drive a pickup truck, rode a Harley, right? Wear blue jeans, smoke cigars, drop F-bombs, you know, kind of the, the traditional, you know, some might say toxic, but I don't think I do the toxic behavior, but I'm, I'm very traditional in my, in my viewpoint of what masculinity looks like. I mean, just, I mean, the way I cut my hair or the clothes I wear, the whole thing, you know? So I think that's what it, you know, for me, at least that's what I mean by it. You know,
0: I do workshops on masculinity and I'll often show, I start off depending when you grew up, here are the kind of men you might recognize in role models. And I'll show John Wayne and 25 and under, they're like, no idea who that is. Yeah. Even say his name. They're like, Nope. Don't know. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> And then again, the 70s, yeah, Eastwood, oh, yeah, no, I've heard of him. I'm like, OK, <laughs> but it's just interesting.
1: And, and that's the whole thing. And, and it's there's a clarity that comes with it. But there can also be constraints that come with it. Right. And so, you know, what I like about it is the clarity. What I've kind of been responsible for is I don't have as much of the constraints about it. You know, that's what I think it is. You know, you just kind of just start looking at it.
0: Yeah. So it's recognizing like, here's kind of my mode, my general type, but you don't let it be the man box. You don't let it be these rules that you live by.
1: I mean, the key to success is is self-awareness, right? And it's you running your life, not having the circumstances of your life on you. And so it's really about getting to the place of choice and self-awareness, not reaction. And I think all too often, you know, we get caught up in reaction, reaction to circumstances around, especially there's a lot of uncertainty out there. There's a lot of stuff going on that we just have no clue about, like from the pandemic to all the social changes that are going on to, you know, the narrative around men and what that means. So it's a different time.
0: I always say nobody can heal or change anything until they're aware of it. So I love that you bring up awareness and that that is so important. I think that might be one of the most underrated things for human beings.
1: Especially for guys. Because so much of what we do, Andy, is, is externally focused. So much of what we do is about accomplishing, especially from the male narrative. We're about accomplishing things. We're about working hard. We're about, you know, doing this or doing that. We're about winning. We're about achieving. Those are all externally pointed things. And we get our feedback not from who we are, but from the results we've produced, right? And the results we produce maybe are correlated somewhat to who we are, but really who we are is unique experience. And just because someone's made more money or been more successful doesn't mean they're a better guy. So, you know, we have to have that understanding of who we are and what makes us who we are. And then operate consistent with that. And then what will happen is we'll actually be successful in what endeavor we take on because we're in alignment between our self-awareness plus our authentic expression. We'll, you can't help but be successful.
0: You know? Yeah. So if, if you are authentically a more traditional male, and again, if you, you get the results, you feel good, you enjoy it, it works for you. Whereas someone else... Maybe they're trying to be that and because they, you know, they feel like they were placed in, in a label or whatever misperception, lack of awareness is making them. And it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. It's binary at the extremes, but there's a whole spectrum of maleness in between there. And what
1: I found, Anita, this so cool is that when you are authentic to who you are, right, there's no barrier. Then. It, they're just. You're connecting with the other human, and so when you connect with the other human being, it doesn't matter what gender they are, what race they are, what role they take on. You know, you start connecting at a human level, and then all of a sudden, the biases that we all carry around with ourselves about what a certain person looks like this or sounds like this is that gets dispelled, and now you're communicating. And now you've got a question: Wait a minute, not all guys are like that, or you know, what do we mean when we say he's traditional? You know, I mean. All those labels we put on it become, you know, the value of them becomes Lord. And then we
0: can start really communicating with one another. Were you always comfortable in your own skin, easy to communicate, connect with others? Or is this something that you had to, to work on yourself? No, oh, dude, I
1: was an absolute flaming asshole. No, dude, I grew up in a really, really traditional area and had to prove myself in sports and was only mediocre and had to prove myself. I spent the first 45 years of my life trying to prove to myself and, and more importantly to my dad. And to me, you know, and then finally got to a point where I couldn't win. And then I did the whole thing you do when you can't win. And I did the drinking and just all that fooling around and all the goofiness that you do. And that was empty. And then I just had, you know, kind of a come to Jesus moment. I had about 26 come to Jesus moments.
0: (laughs) And you finally listened to one of them or did it take all of them to get you somewhere? It took most of them.
1: It took most of them, you know. But yeah, I'm a slow learner and yeah. Yeah, it was, that's really what it was. And you start asking questions you start really, you know, it's funny. I think for 18 years, we're indoctrinated with a certain mindset from everything around us, from school and our parents and all this stuff. And then we spend the next 20 or 30 years, you know, kind of unscrewing ourselves, you know, and then you get to kind of get to the point where, wow, you know, and then it kind of comes back together and you kind of, oh, okay. And you can start parceling it out and saying, this lesson I learned here, this is what it really was. And I think that's the gift of longevity. I mean, luckily I've lived long enough to get it, but I think that's, at least that's the journey I've been on, you know?
0: And I recently talked to a man, he was 72 years old and with a trembling voice and tears coming down his face, he told me that he had never heard his father say, I love you. And it had bothered him and it just bothered him obviously his whole life. And, you know, I think as guys were taught, you know, suck it up, that, that really shouldn't matter. But as you said, you spent 45 years trying to prove yourself to yourself and to your dad.
1: Yeah. You know, the the thing is, you know, my dad was this tough Irish Catholic, golden gloves boxer, tradesman, just a tough guy. Can never do enough to win his praise because that's how he learned. You know, he kept raising the bar and raising the bar. And the fact of the matter is, my dad only told me he loved me once. And it was when he was coming out of brain surgery. And we had a very contentious relationship. And. After he passed away, I really got that he was doing the best he could. He really was. I mean, we had a really tough time growing up and I'm a tough guy. You know, I needed a tough guy to raise me or I would have been, who knows what would happen. And I really look back on that. I really had the perfect dad and he loved me the way he did. And it was good enough. And it was actually what I needed. And I'm actually honored to be his son, but that's not how I felt most of my life with yeah. it,
0: you know, no, I get that. Yeah, what we need isn't always what feels good in the moment. Exactly. You know, like, yeah, otherwise it's
1: cooking and candy. And, you know, you're, you know, he was a great man. He worked hard and he, you know, provided for the family and he did all the traditional stuff. And we did not see eye to eye on many things.
0: You know? We call this the father wound. And it's just a physically distant, absent father or emotionally distant and absent father. And it, it, it leaves a mark. But the thing is, when you start recognizing that, And the common thing I hear from guys is, I don't want to be my dad. And it doesn't mean you don't love him. You just, you don't want that life. You don't want that closed off kind of pained life, if that's what you saw.
1: I mean, that's really the thing that I started inquiring is like, how did he get to be that way? What was the hell that he went through? And it really gave me more compassion, not just for him, but for a lot of men. Because up to that point, I was super competitive. And I think that's one of the things we do as men. We get really competitive with one another. Women get together and they they share each other's deepest, most intimate secrets. And we get together and we talk about sports and we're sizing each other up. Who could be higher on the tree? And I think that's one of the things that has to change. We have to come together as brothers and, and really honor one another. And this isn't about being wimpy or anything like that. It's really about understanding that none of us make it out of this thing alive. And it works better if we build community and if we build teams and we build groups, if we really want to change things,
0: you know, I couldn't agree more. What I've seen in men's groups that I facilitate, the competitiveness can actually come in and, and be beneficial in the right situation. Like one guy opens up and shares, another guy's like, "Well, I'll do that too, then," or I can share something you know more painful. It's almost that will kick in.
1: Well, listen, you know the, the whole competitiveness thing in dudes is like, own it. It's who we are. It's what creates change. It's what leads breaks out of oppression and things like that. Is that that innate competitiveness, that innate desire to improve? That's who we are as human beings. Let's not make it good or bad. Let's be responsible for it, right? Because, I mean, competitiveness gone too far leads itself to lying, cheating, and stealing. So that's the whole thing. It gets into that whole binariness of it. One thing is not good or bad. It it just be responsible on how you use it.
0: Yeah, it's fine. Things aren't good or bad. They serve you or they don't. And if your competitive nature helps you, you know, strive and get up each day and try to better yourself, better the world, great.
1: Listen, I'm a pretty competitive guy. And I was a role where I was involved in business development sales, you know, and I've done like 10,000 business to business transactions and I was an animal. And in the process, I learned a lot. I learned about how humans make decisions. I learned about, and I learned how to intimidate people and I learned what worked and I learned what didn't work. And through that whole thing, you know, that, you know, I've got this whole array of experiences now that I can pull from and choose the ones that serve me now and that are aligned with my real commitment.
0: Yeah. Like competitiveness does not mean you must win everything.
1: Oh, no. Oh, no, man. I've learned more from losing than I have from winning a million times. No, 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 no. Competitive means engagement. it. It means coming together. It means confronting something. It creates catalysts. You know, that's the beautiful part about it. And that's how you ignite things and get things started and get things, you know, moving forward.
0: And I love that you bring up responsibility because that was something I— ran from from much of my life. I thought responsibility and blame were synonyms.
1: Yeah. I was raised Catholic responsibility and obligation,
0: right? Yeah. All right. So what makes responsibility be more of service, be more empowering? Is it responsibility that you choose? Is it dropping the obligation part of it? I
1: think if you really think about what freedom is, right? Real freedom requires responsibility. So for me, responsibility allows for access, for full self-expression, for me to do whatever I need to do to achieve the thing that I'm out to achieve, which is fulfilling my commitment. And you got to be responsible for it. And not only that, you know, what I'm taking on is I'm taking on being responsible for the behavior of all men. So if I meet someone who was abused, if I meet someone who was sexually harassed, if I meet someone who, it could be a dude who was abused by some you know, Jack Welsh type, right? I mean, I take on the responsibility. I do what I can to get them, you know, complete and get them at least beginning the process of healing. Because otherwise, what I know is that, you know, just because of the traditional, and I'm a big guy, I'm 6'2", 250, and I got kind of his dad vibe. So I know that I meet people and they are triggered the, sight the second they lay eyes on me. I just know that. Nothing I did. And if I want to engage with them, I got to be responsible for that space, right? You know, as a coach, that's that's all we have is our ability to create a space for people to step in it. And so,
0: yeah, I mean, I'm cool with it. So your newest book is coming out this summer. It's called Manhood Manifesto, How Men Must Lead at Home, at Work, and in the Public Sphere. Are all men born leaders? Is this just a natural part of masculinity?
1: We're all responsible for leading our own lives. And what's going on, I think, there's a, this, this phenomenon that's occurred recently, you know, and it, it's a function of the inter- information age we're in. More information is put out every day than we can ever, ever possibly get our arms around, right? So prior to I'm going to say 2004, or something like that, if you were going to take on an endeavor, you could research and you could get all the information you need, and you could manage it, and organize. You know, the whole knowledge is power, right? Well, somewhere between 2004 and 2012, that disintegrated because we've been overloaded with information. So now we're in this mode of overload all the time, right? So all the old leadership roles and leadership ways of operating are gone. So now we've got to be responsible for ourselves first. And there's a myriad of different things to do. And so the whole conversation around leadership has got to change. The traditional hierarchical top-down, this is the way it works, leadership structure doesn't work anymore. So it's got to begin with, us leading first and foremost our own lives and then leading the groups and the communities and building alliances and that type of thing. That's the way I see it. So that's what I mean by leadership. It's, it's really being the leader in your own life first.
0: So that's where the authenticity, the responsibility comes with you because the only person we can change is ourselves.
1: Exactly. That's all we can do. That's all we can do. The only thing we have control over is our viewpoint. That's all we have control over. Sometimes our bowels, but mostly, <laughs> right? But really it's our viewpoint.
0: So, yeah. So besides top-down being the only way, what are other common misperceptions that guys have about leadership? That if
1: you're not a leader, you don't get a say. If you're not in a leadership role, you can't make change. The misperception, I believe, about leadership is that it's equated with power. Power, when you really look at real change, the power didn't come from position. The power came from who people were being and what their commitment was. You look at Gandhi, you look at Martin Luther King, you look at Jesus Christ, you look at all the... The major change agents throughout life, you know, it's who do we choose to be in the face of circumstance, not out of circumstance. So that's where the real power comes from. It's self-generated. And our power is really sourced by our purpose, our higher purpose, which is whatever we're connected to beyond us. You know, I think that's one of the biggest challenges we face today is, you know, we live in a world that's relatively narcissistic. And so, you know, we look at, we think that we're the deal. (laughs) That is so silly, you know?
0: So did you have this sense of of a higher purpose for your own life from a young age? Or is this, you know, a lot of toil to get there?
1: Oh, man. (laughs) So I was raised Catholic. I'm in a 12-step program for Catholicism. I think it's something I've I've looked at and struggled with and been in inquiry since the early days. I've gone the religious route. I've, I've, uh, you know, like I was raised Catholic. I studied Buddhism. I almost converted to Judaism. You know, there's probably not a religion out there that I haven't inquired about, you know? Yeah, I just started seeking, like, I knew there had to be something bigger than this. I didn't know what it was. And just I started inquiring, 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 you know? I ended up being back in the Christian realm, but my version or or my perspective of what Christianity does is just gives us this playground of freedom, right? And free choice. With that comes, of course, responsibility, but this... This, it lands us in a place where we can really make choices based on our beliefs and you know loving one another and things like that. But that's what I think the opportunity comes from. So,
0: so are those some of the reasons that got you to write this book, why you wanted to explore and share more on leadership? Or is it something else even?
1: Oh, I think it's been kind of that inquiry. How this book came about was really unusual. I had written my first book and I had a publicist and she told me I had to go meet this woman who was a speaker, she was a curator of uh, TEDx Lincoln Square, right? And so I went to this workshop and we were talking and I, you know, she had me stand up at the stage and I never spoke publicly, you know? I, I couldn't leave three people in private prayer, you know? And I just, no, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And and so I sat up, up there and she started asking me que- these questions out of nowhere. This whole thing started coming out of me about men and responsibility, because it was right after the Harvey Weinstein thing, the Me Too movement, right? And it was like, every woman was looking at every man like they're a rapist. And that just is completely inaccurate, you know? And, but what's also going on though, is there weren't enough men stepping up and saying no to the guys who were being that way, you know? And so I really, that's in the beginning of the inquiry. Next thing I know, I'm on a stage in New York City talking about this, got heckled, you know, cause I, I just went up there and I'm a dude and it was like 85% women in there. And you're like, oh, we don't want- You know, but it was really a breakthrough moment for me because it began, really began the conversation about it. And then since then, I just started looking, you know, and the thing I've really looked at was, you know, the, really what I started seeing over and over and over again is the abdication of masculine expression. You see it in the media, you see it in politics and the biggest impact I think is around kids. You know, I mean, how many young men and boys are raised without fathers? and the impact of it is incredible you know I see these young men that you know are the victims of police shootings and very seldom do you ever see a father involved you know you see their moms but you don't see the fathers and it doesn't matter what race they are you know even the kid in Kenosha that shot the two kids that went to jail you know the young white kid there was no father involved there either you know so there's this gap of men really standing up and training and developing and teaching and guiding young men. And you know, women are great, but they're not the ones to guide young men and how to become adult men. Because what they do is they raise boys. And when the boys grow up, guess
0: what they are? They're boys. And I find the single women that I've met, they kind of grow up with that father wound, that distant dad, not yeah. teaching. And so they end up teaching this distorted, sometimes toxic masculinity. They teach, oh, you should never tell me how you feel. You should just come home and drink at night. You should, you know, hate your job because that's what they saw.
1: Well, they have no understanding of what it is. Part of what masculinity is, it, it's tough. You got to discover stuff. That's why sports are so important. You get hurt and you fail. And, and at least that's what I've seen. The guys that I know that I consider close friends have learned far more by the, their failings and by their successes. And I've got to an ecology of friends that are incredibly successful. But it's really the, it's getting up that one more time, you know?
0: What are some examples of healthy masculine expression that you wish we were all seeing more of? Standing up to aberrant behavior,
1: you know, saying no. When some of the media stuff that's coming out and, and making these broad proclamations, just stand up and say, no, that's not true. Now, I'm not talking about getting argumentative. I'm not talking about getting riotous. I'm not talking about activism. I'm just says no. No, that's an error and show them why. I think the other things, like school's not being open. Why aren't there fathers out there going, put the kids back in school or we're not going to pay our property taxes, but they don't. They're just letting, you know, the moms do all the heavy lifting. And we've done that across the board. You know, we've kind of abdicated like, I don't want to get in trouble. We've lost our courage and, you know, the cancel culture stuff. No, you can't do that. No, 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 no. No, it's a one word answer. It's a complete sentence. It works really well. And what it can do is actually stimulate further conversation. It's how do you stand up to a bully? You say, no, you know, you stand up to him. And I think that's, what's missing from men is we haven't stood up. or we're, we're not standing up now.
0: Yeah. Cause earlier said that you were taking on responsibility for other men. So it is that confrontation doesn't seem like the right word, but it's, it's along that line. It's just, it's standing for, you know, it's really standing for. It's not confronting.
1: This is not an act of aggression, okay? This is an act of standing for in what you believe.
0: It's owning your voice. It's owning your heart. Yeah, it's really, and we're talking about awareness early. So it's helping guys that aren't aware to be aware of what they're doing. Absolutely,
1: yeah. And doing so in a way, one of the problems, that, as guys, one of the things we do when someone's not doing what we think is right, we tend to correct them into, oh, you're, you know, you're wrong. And it's not that. It's really getting more curious. And it's standing and showing them, you know, really demonstrating what it looks like.
0: Yeah. Again, showing that they don't have to live just this one way. It's not this binary thing. Yeah. You're not on or off.
1: No, no. There's a million different ways to be.
0: Looking at your website, there's a lot of great content there. There's one line that really stuck with me. You weren't just born to pay bills and die. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's dumb. You know, why would you want to do that? I, I mean, one of the blessings that I have is I have a lot of fun too much sometimes, you know, for me, if we're not laughing, if we're not having fun, if this isn't a good time, why? I've got a really good friend who's super Irish and we go out and we smoke cigars and drink beer together. And he's got this toast you know, we're not here for a long time. We're here for a good time. And if we're lucky, we're here for a good long time. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of this BS kind of cheer thing that you do when you're drinking, you know, that one too many beers, but it's so authentic to him. Cause that's, this guy's really a great time. And it's so true. I think we worry too much and we make stuff too
0: significant. You know? Well, that might be the answer to what I was going to ask next. What's one thing you wish more men knew? Hmm, that's a great question. How great they were
1: really like how great they were and how it all works out. Fritz Pearl said it always ends well. And if it's not going so well, it's not over. Right. And so, you know, it, it's just that to bring a sense of optimism to whatever you do, because we really create our life and how we look at it is how it's going to go anyway.
0: Yeah. The power of our responsibility, perceptions, awareness, authenticity. Those are all the ingredients. Cool. And fun. And fun. Yeah. Have fun.
1: I, you know, I ride a Harley. I don't know how you could ride a Harley and not have fun. There is a couple of ways. You can get caught up in a thunderstorm. You can ride when it's really cold out. Last summer, I rode a thousand eighty miles and a twenty four did the, the Iron Butt. right? it was the stupidest thing. <laughs> it was fun to Des Moines, and I had to come from Des Moines home, and that was another two hundred fifty miles of pure hell. But yeah, but it's 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 fun.
0: How, how tempting is it to hire a trailer and like drag your bike home after something like that? I'd say it's really interesting. I thought about it.
1: You know, I thought about calling my brother. I said, I'm gonna st- spend the night in Des Moines, bring your trailer, get over here and get me because I'm done. But you know, I set out to do some, and I'm just stubborn enough to do it. It's like competitiveness, right? To prove I could do it, I didn't want to ride a motorcycle for three more months after I got done. I'm telling you, I was done. <laughs> Almost sold it. It was horrible. So anybody out there considering the iron butt, don't do it. It's dumb. It's really dumb.
0: Mike, of all the things you've done and accomplished and have shared, I wonder what stands out to you as something that you're most proud of?
1: Well, first thing, just proud. Well, being a
0: dad is cool, right? So, but I don't know if proud
1: is the word. I love my son. I really enjoy the work I do. If I was going to be proud of anything, it's that my work is a complete and pure, authentic expression of who I am. And I'm really committed to it. So it doesn't seem like much work and it's work. And I think that's it. I think I've got a ton of relationships in my life that I really, really honor and value. I think that's it. Somehow I've been blessed with great health. Nothing I had to do with it. I promise. I lived like a pirate for the first 55 years. So, but yeah, no, I just had a blessed life, man. And I I think I've got a great group of guarding angels that watch out for me. You know, I hope I can be really proud of this book. Whenever you write a book, it's, for me, it's scary because you're putting yourself out there. And this book is pretty bold. Not everyone's going to like everything that's said in it, but it's not intentionally antagonistic. It's just speaking the truth, you know? So I, I hope. People read it, and I hope people get the message, and I hope they get the intention behind it. Those are sometimes hard things to deliver in a
0: book, but I'm proud of the fact that I that I wrote it. So, what is the intention? What's the ideal message you hope at least one reader gets?
1: That's a great question. I think the message is that we have the power to do whatever we want within us, and it begins with understanding who we are. It begins with connecting to our purpose, and the world needs men, and the world needs male leadership. And they need authentic male expression. Whatever that may be, there's not one standard for it.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. That authenticity is one thing, but it means being true to whatever your one thing might be. Exactly,
1: exactly. And there can be multiple millions of different versions of what's authentic.
0: This is something I struggled with younger, but our mission and our purpose, what excites us, that can change too. Of course. Like as we evolve, our dreams and desires can evolve too.
1: Yeah. No, it, it really does. It and I think what happens if, if you're really like in alignment with your mission and your purpose, it starts to open up and it becomes bolder and bolder. Like mine, if I were to put down a to-do list, I'd have 50 years of stuff to do right now. There's no way I'm going to be 50 years from now. There's no way I'd be the oldest man in the history of mankind, you know? Yeah, but it's, so what? It's who I get. You know, I don't know if I'll be here 50 days from now. That's all it is. It's just engaging in the moment because that's really all we got. You and me right now, that's all we got. And that's pretty cool if we can actually connect and that's what's so cool about your podcast is you actually both hold the space for, but generate that man. So that's really cool that you do I've, I've watched a couple of the episodes you actually connect with the people on here. So it's really, And I have the experience of that.
0: So it's really cool. Good. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I say often is silence kills men. So we need, you know, deep conversation, break down that competitiveness and let's be competitive together. Yeah. Let's say be engaged.
1: Right. And that's really, I'm putting together In July, I'm literally in the early stage. I'm going to send out the invitations tomorrow, probably Saturday. But I'm putting together a men's leadership summit. And what it is, it's, I know a lot of incredible guys and they don't know each other. So the first thing, it's intended to be a a networking experience. But more than anything, it's to have these conversations that we're not having. And and these guys all own businesses and stuff like that. And they'll have them with me because I'm kind of the guy that will do that. but. They won't go out and generate themselves just because they're not trained, they're not wired for that. And so, so yeah, that's that's what this is going to be about. It's going to be really interesting to see how it goes. It could be a complete failure or it'll be something that will go on through infinitum and, you know, it'll be my legacy project. Who knows?
0: Or anything in between, as we're saying. Or
1: anywhere in between.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I always had this misperception of leadership that that was work and it was just a boss and being how to tell people what to do. So leadership always turned me off. So I'm really glad that your modern take on it bringing, again, authenticity, humor, vulnerability, an open heart, connection, communication, that that's what leadership is.
1: Well, when you think about what leadership is, I mean, what it really is, it is a tip of the spirit. So because you're going somewhere, I mean, real leadership is going somewhere that no one's gone before, right? So in the beginning stages of leadership, you're going to have a lot of resistance. You know, so you've got, you know, it's going to take 10 units of energy to get one unit of production. But luckily for me, I'm wired that way. You know, I don't mind that. Not everyone's wired that way, but what can happen is if you want, jump in my wake, be part of it. There's leadership in that, too. You can lead from behind. You can lead from within. You can lead from the side. There's a million different ways you can lead. I just happen to have a big head. (laughs) Doesn't matter. Right, yeah.
0: I mean, a, a solitary leader at the tip of a spear with no spear... That's not a movement. That's not leading anything. <laughs> except- that's, that's a suicide mission. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and,
1: and that's how a lot of people are because you need followerships too. That's why one of the most important skills of leadership is enrollment, which is really sharing your vision with others such that they're inspired by it, they want to join up with you. As men, we're not all that great at enrollment. You know, we're great at bullshitting. We're great at convincing. We're great at persuading, just putting the arm on somebody. But to actually create a position and invitation, allow people to choose in or out and be okay when they choose out. That takes a level of courage and a level of self-awareness, a level of understanding, a level of commitment to where you're going that you understand it's necessary. It's good. If someone didn't choose in, there was a reason they didn't and being okay with them. Love them anyway,
0: you know? Right, right. Not taking it personally. That doesn't mean the end of the world. Doesn't mean they're a horrible person. Just
1: no, no, just move forward with it, man.
0: Awesome. I really appreciate everything you've shared. Look forward to the book. I love that you're destined to be the oldest man in the world.
1: <laughs> From your lips to God's ears, brother. You know That'd be awesome. I don't know what it would look like in 2070. It would be pretty weird.
0: Yeah. Only one way to find out, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd get there, you know.
0: I wonder if I'll still be able to gas for my pickup, you know. That'll be. <laughs> yeah, I'd be willing to bet no, but it probably is going to be something that we don't know of yet that would be fueling. Oh, we don't you. know knows? That.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, you got you got cars that are out there that are 50 years old now, but they are collectibles. I mean, if you think about it, a 1966 Chevy Impala Supersport is 34, 54 years old. It's an awesome car. Yeah, so anyway.
0: Awesome. So, Mike, what's the best way for people to connect with you, find out what you're up to?
1: Probably the best way, I don't have my new website up. It's in construction, but it's mikesherrick.com but it's not up yet. Just email me, mikesherick at gmail.com. That's the best way. You can also get to me through LinkedIn. Just look me up. There's no other Mike Sherrick in LinkedIn. That's that's a good way to get hold
0: All right. Awesome. Uh, we'll have links to all those things and your books at realmenfield.org in the show notes. Again, thanks, Mike, for, for everything you're doing and will continue to do. I wish you tremendous success and hope this book comes out and hits all the intentions. It hits men you know, where they freaking live, man, because that's we need men to wake up. Well, thanks, Mike, again. Thanks, everyone, for listening to us today. Wherever you are listening to Real Men Feel, please subscribe, share this with someone, post a review, a comment. Love to hear from you. You can reach out at realmenfeel at gmail.com. And until next time, be good to yourself.